You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. Today on the show, we have Rebecca Anderson. She's the author of The Grand Promise. We chat the super secret guide to revisions, the changes to Seattle since the grungiers, grungiers, the literary community in Paris, Anne Heche, and the literary community in Los Angeles, and wait, so much more. Hi, I'm Rebecca Anderson, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Rebecca Anderson. She's the author of The Grand Promise. Rebecca, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. It's so much fun. Yeah, we what what year were you on? Was it 2008 or something? Or was it even before that? Because let's let's catch the audience up. You run debut lit. It, it, yeah. So back in the day. Um, yeah. yeah. And brought an author on the show uh, for his debut novel back in San Francisco days. I think probably 2008 sounds about right. Somewhere in around that. Yeah, so, I'm trying to think if I was married. I think I was. I think I was still married, so it'd probably be even earlier than that. <laughs> and you've gotten married since then too, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen cool. years this fall. Oh, in fall. In this this fall, yeah. His um, family was actually very helpful in pulling pulling this book together. His dad is a poet. My husband's dad is a poet. And has been publishing his own work in anthologies for many years and um, was one of my early readers for the book and really encouraged me not to give up on getting published because, you know, publishing a novel these days is not easy. And there's a lot of time investment beyond your writing that you have to make to just try to get in front of agents and publishers. And so it was just good to have that encouragement to not give up and to keep trying. And and, uh, here we are. And congratulations. Your debut novel. I know it's um, so much work went into getting the final edits done. And then when I finally like sort of reluctantly let it go, cause I wanted to just keep tinkering with it forever. It was like simultaneously like a thrill that my friends could read it and, and terrifying that my friends were going to read it. Like what if everybody hates it? No one will make eye contact with me anymore, <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm kind of over that now. Cause it's been out for a few months now. And um no one, no one has refused to make eye contact with me, so I'll call that a success. <laughs> <laughs> did did you um did you notice if anyone, not of your like friends or maybe your acquaintances, just haven't been in touch for a while? I noticed that. I noticed that when like that not only when the book came out, but like when the film came out, when like oh. certain like acquaintances all of a sudden were either completely gone or they were asking me for things. <laughs> oh, interesting. I yeah. think the response that surprised me the most was that um when i was getting coming up towards the launch of the book the launch date i was putting messages out on social media as you do and i kind of on a whim posted it on linkedin just thinking like oh well there's you know some other people on here may be interested and i got a lot of people who i know professionally um reaching out to me about it and i they had you know, say things I had no idea that you were a writer. This is so cool. And I actually think I sold a lot of books to people I work with or who I've worked with in the past, which was super interesting to me because I have been out of touch with a lot of them for a long time. But yeah, that ended up being like sort of a random engagement experience that I wasn't anticipating. So that was kind of fun. 
Well, I mean, I didn't even know. That's why that's why I didn't get you on in time. You know, I didn't I didn't have you on the <laughs> schedule on the week it came out because I was just like, Rebecca Anderson has a book. What? <laughs> I've was, been quietly, diligently working on it for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just like, oh, my God, because I mean, I remember debut lit. I remember hanging out when we were all we were all at a Ricardo's place for the party mm-hmm. for. um. Yeah, who is the author you brought on again? It was Sung Wu. Sung Wu, yeah. yeah. And you and you you've been around the scene forever. Yeah, I know. Um, I you know I honestly just didn't know if it would ever make it to the light of day. And you know, if you've been working on something, you probably have this experience. You've been working on it for a long time. You're not. You have these moments where you're not feeling great about it, and then people ask you questions. How's your book? And and you just like don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's some of that. Now, now I feel, you know, uh, of course, past that because now it's out in the world and I can breathe a sigh of relief that people can actually order it on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or get it at bookstores. Yes. At bookstores. Or at libraries. That's that's when I felt I totally made it when I went to the San Francisco library and they had a bunch of copies at the central one. And it was just like, I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, I'm right next to Lawrence Durrell. How cool is that? This is like 20 years ago when I was when I was like young and at the library and discovered books, which you know was late and late. Well, I was in my 20s, but I was like, where would I be in a library if I was a, if I was an author? And it was right after Lawrence Durrell. And I always remembered that. And then I finally got to see the book spine right next to Lawrence Durrell. And it was just like, oh. So cool. Yeah, then, that's exciting. Yeah, and then I was like dissatisfied with my life immediately five minutes later. So. <laughs> now what? It yeah, is, so isn't fun. it that? Now what? Honestly, I um, feel like I've got the whole next six months or so that to be out pimping the book. And so oh, that's, great. that's what's next is just really kind of hitting the pavement for this yeah. book. Um, meeting booksellers, making sure they are familiar with it, getting out to speaking engagements, all of that good stuff. Um, Terrorizing people on social media. Yeah. Whatever I can to kind of. You don't have to terrorize too hard. You're you're like, (laughs) what's great about you is you're just, you're, you're, you're memorable and affable and you know, I I don't think I've seen you in over 10 years and I was excited that you had a book coming out. So it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's good. Not, it's good not to be uh, annoying. I think. I, yeah. It's a fine line to walk, but. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, just as a person, you know, there's, oh, I, 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 I come across so many people that are just like annoying <laughs> and you just, and you just kind of notice that things don't move forward for them. And I don't think they know they're annoying. They just, people just go, I don't want to work with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's people who are like, like you, where it's just like, not only not annoying, just delightful. And just, you just go, oh my God, I'm happy for that person. And you, and, oh, then, and nice you're, thing. and you're invited and you're, and you're, you, it's, it's, it's an it, it attract like, like, like attracts like, and people get to, just i mean it's just it's such a huge journey to just get a novel out there to yeah. just to write the damn thing yeah how long did you work on your your first book um before it was published three years before i did i didn't even know if it would be published it was just yeah. it was something i had to get out yeah 
Yeah. It was a very bad decision until it got published. <laughs> <laughs> I got divorced before um, an agent and publisher took it on. And, uh, and then um, I won't go, I, just, I won't go into that. Cause we'll be here for a whole hour about uh, that, but, but it's just kind of intriguing that, uh, that it, it and then before the and then as the film was getting uh momentum and going into pre-production i was with another person that i thought was gonna be the one for the rest of my life and then we ended up breaking up <laughs> just like i i realized that i have a pattern of certain things too so it's, you know anyway. do you think those like things that are happening in your personal life do influence what ultimately comes out in your work and there's definitely i mean you kind of can't completely separate those things and I found that too. So I finished this book during COVID. And so I can tell, like, I can see it, it, how it kind of evolved, story kind of evolved from like the circumstances that I was in as I was finishing it up. And um, just like sort of what that kind of brings to the table as you're kind of working things out as a human being, while you're also like kind of trying to tell a human story and just yeah. like your own personal, your own interior landscape leaks into the, to the characters, whether you realize it or not and it's just interesting how those things intersect so you probably did you do you see that in in the screenplay or the book that you've got some elements of what was going on at the time working its way in actually well that's uh, actually no i didn't because i didn't know i was getting divorced i didn't know i was getting cheated on during the <laughs> while i was writing the book and i think that was a wonderful that it was either the universe or God or goddesses because it was really weird. Cause right when I finished the last draft that I, that I was starting to submit, I found out three weeks later that my, that my marriage was ending oh, and I, no. and I could, I could not have written the same book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So true. Oh, um, that sounds rough. But it's just, but then it's beautiful at the same time. Cause it's synchronicity. It's just, I used, I these, you know, there's just, I don't know if you found this in your life, but there's just things that happen, even if they're not good, or even if you don't know certain things and all of a sudden they're revealed. And it's just like, I needed time to, um, to, to become a little more mature, I guess. And for that to happen, it's, yeah. it's almost like the universe waits till you're ready to drop the bomb on you that yeah. you've made wrong decisions in your yeah. life. And then they go, all right, well, it's time. So it's time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can think of moments where that were really hard at the time. And then I, but I look back on them now and they set me on a whole new path that uh, was, became amazing, like an am amazing opportunities emerged because of it. But I had to go through like the pain of giving up whatever it was that, you know, I thought that I wanted. Yeah. And then you when, look back and you're like, well, wait a second. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't made this radical turn, like sort of not by choice 10 years ago. Right. What, what's one of yours? That, that, oh, like, oh wait, I lost your, I lost your audio for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you, it, no, you're good now. I thought you hung up on me. <laughs> oh, click. It was like this time of life where finishing graduate school relationship wasn't working out. Um, job market was weird at the time. So I finished grad school, like right when the market tanked. So 2007, 2008 ish. Um, and just kind of like packed my bags and went back to Seattle from New York and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And then like all of these opportunities opened up for me, it was kind of like, 
okay, so I the, the the message was it was time to go home to Seattle area and then things were easier. And, and but that was a major change. Like I kind of thought that I was just going to set up shop in New York after school and stay there and be a fancy Brooklyn writer. And it just didn't go that way. But I, I have no regrets about that. I mean, I think everything worked out the way it was supposed to. And the, and the setting of your book, do you think you would have written this book if you stayed in Brooklyn? Question. I did start it back then and uh, put it down for long periods of time before I really earnestly started working on it. But I mean, I made trips. Um, so the, the book is based in Eastern Washington state. Um, and it's about the history of the Grand Coulee Dam. And that area is where my family homesteaded way back, but like when my grandfather, before my grandfather was born. And what so, does, what does homestead mean? Uh, they were able to get free land from the government, which was actually taken from Native American communities. Um, yes, I love that. <laughs> we're able to, uh, to uh, get this land for free from the government in, in order to farm it. They ended up uh -huh. leaving, actually. But yeah, there's a lot of like strange history there about how the tribes were treated. And I, I, I touch on that. This book isn't about that specifically but it does touch on that and kind yeah. of the, the complications for the for the local native american indigenous community there but so it's in so it's just at that time the government's just like here you can have this as long as you farm the land yes yeah. and there's like a lot more i wish they would that, do it but... today that would be cool <laughs> I don't, it wasn't great farmland. It turns out there wasn't irrigation and then there were all kinds of problems. Um, uh, but I, I wouldn't have had access, easy access to that area to do research from back East. So in some ways, yeah, I don't know that I would have stuck with it. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, trying to do it from 3000 miles away. That's interesting. So this book has actually been in the zeitgeist of your brain for how many years? A long time. Uh, I would say fumbling around with it, total of 15 years, but really working on it in earnest, probably eight. And then this last couple of years of COVID, I really hunkered down because I couldn't go anywhere. So that actually worked out Yeah. <laughs> to get the final edits done. I don't, I don't know how I would have got uh, done it with like commute and, you know, just sort of life. Like we were in lockdown. So I was like, well, here we go. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's interesting to find out how authors and writers, um, how COVID affected them, because there were friends of mine were like, oh, my God, this must be great for you because um, you can you get to write. And I was just mm -hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm like, I don't I'm not I don't get creatively blocked, but I'm blocked. I can't write. It's this like world is there. There's I there's nothing I, I, yeah. I couldn't write for. Actually, I was ghostwriting. Maybe that's why I was blocked. <laughs> so I was, I was making, I was making some, as COVID was before COVID, I was like hustling to get a lot of money in my bank account so I can, you know, work on, I'm just like, I got to get this so I can work on my next screenplay and work on my next novel and just get everyone off and get everyone, tell everyone no. <laughs> so, and now I'm at that beautiful spot where I've been able to tell everyone no for a while and work on my it's, own stuff. But that's great. But even after I stopped ghostwriting, it took me about a year during COVID to, I mean, you know, there were, I was trying to write, but I just couldn't. Cause I think I was just so gutted and trying to like, mm -hmm. trying to just 
go, what is the human condition? Where yeah. are we going? Yeah. And, and am I going to die next week? And does and do does a book even matter if we're all stacked up on top of each other in body packs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been an interesting ride. Um, by the time we sort of went into, you know, state of emergency type scenario, I already had the publishing deal. So I knew I had this deadline. Oh, yeah. I love a gun to the head in that situation that the deadlines are good. Yeah. It probably would have been different without that. Um, So I had to get it done. But one thing I learned, I, you know, most people think of writers as introverts, but this really taught me that I am an extrovert and I was like climbing the walls here, just wanting human interaction. Um, And so I I just really channeled that into the book as much as I could and getting, getting that writing done and meeting and meeting that deadline. And, um, but yeah, it probably would have been a different experience if I was just sitting here peeling the wallpaper (laughs) with no deadline. (laughs) And you get, and you get to show up to your characters every day. That's like, essentially that is a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And having to do some excavation too on, you know, it's, this book there's one main character but there it's like a whole community there are probably five that are characters that you kind of get some interiors on and that was interesting for me as a writer too because having to learn how to write interiors for multiple people and the only interiors that you have access to are your own really at the end of the day so all they're all me in some way in terms of like their emotional landscape and that was an interesting process for me of just kind of trying to get in there, of like, uh, yeah, kind of that excavation process on lockdown with smoke from wildfires. And oh, right, because you were getting apart. them up there too. Yeah, <laughs> like, why am I finishing this book during the apocalypse? Right. But I gotta get. I have to get it done. <laughs> right, you're like pestilence. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm fire to from say heaven. <laughs> If we're all dead, at least I could say I finished it. Oh, wow. What's it like growing up in like, because you grew up in eastern uh, Washington? No, I grew up in the Seattle area. So after oh, okay. in, around. The so you were time, like a regular, you were like around grunge. I sure was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually was like high school ish age at the beginning of that. And I went and saw Nirvana play right before um, Nevermind came out. Uh, they still were um, semi-undiscovered, and they played my 18th birthday at the OK Hotel in Seattle, and I got to go to that show. They broke their guitar on stage, and one of my friends got a piece of the guitar, and there's actually, um, D, are you familiar with, with the Experience Music Project Museum up here in Seattle? No, no. Uh, it's a whole museum dedicated um, to the mu- musical history and they actually have the poster from that show up on display in the museum which i guess means i'm old <laughs> what would <laughs> that be like 91 yeah uh yeah yeah so it was like the year i graduated from high school and they played here and then everything exploded and they um teen spirit came out shortly after that yeah that's like, it, really it, that, that. it was such a because i was a college radio dj at the time okay so like, and, and, um, and I was just, I always listened to college radio when I was a kid and, um, and it's just, it's funny what the, like Nirvana, you know, Nirvana wasn't, uh, someone that they, they weren't a band that we would like really reach out to see. We could, 
for some odd reason we found them kind of boring uh it was it was mud honey mud yeah. honey seemed like the one that was really gonna go and um what else uh, you know like the head coats i mean there was just so much you know so much be- the boredoms were like going nuts at that time and then um for it to be nirvana was just so intriguing and yeah. and, they, and then and i did i kind of blew them off then because i was just you know i you know it's like i liked bleach i was like oh yeah there's a couple good tracks off there mm-hmm. i play it once in a while on my radio show and then um and then uh Nevermind came out and that's when i was like oh shit, you know everything's changing and then um and then i just kind of blew it off i didn't even know the songs on Nevermind for many years probably until about 15 years later and then i really listened to the Nevermind album back to you know front to back and i'm just like this is genius no wonder <laughs> why was i such a snotty you know uh, brat kid who wouldn't listen to it back in the day when the, this album was really good it's... well they kind of came into the tail end of it there the scene had was already really well established by the time they um that record came out and so i think it would just it surprised everybody but the great irony is that back in those days um Se- seattle was like kind kind of a ghost town lots of empty warehouses and there were tons of all ages shows. So I wasn't 21 yet. So I oh. had to go to all ages shows and they would have them in like, there was a place called the Motorsports Garage. Well, this whole area now is Amazon headquarters. And just I was like, going to the- ask you about that, <laughs> about the transition of what Seattle was when you were growing up to now, because it's got to be like. It's hugely like different. That. It's yeah. hugely different. And I, I'm actually happy to see it. I think that Seattle is a world-class city now, and I, it really kind of wasn't back then. And I mean, maybe that was just my perspective as a 18-year-old who didn't really know anything about anything, but it seemed kind of sleepy to me. Um, and now it's, you know, it's a place that people move for tech opportunities and places blowing up. It, 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 I mean, we, we kind of had the same thing in San Francisco. It was... Yeah. Um, I mean, because I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s in a dreary suburb and, uh, you know, and then even when I moved to San Francisco, it's, it's um, you know, uh, it was just kind of like, it was just different before tech really came in. It was, um, and even then when the first, when dot com and the dot bomb happened, it kind of like readjusted itself a little bit for a while and then, and then it kind of started really revving up again. But it's, And maybe uh, that could happen yeah. here too. Who, who knows? Yeah, and, it, and I'm I wasn't anyone that was really like offended by it because I know things change. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's all right; things can change. It's you know the people come into town. It's just like in Soma, it really sucked. You know, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. Oh, now there's a huge loft. Now that's a million dollar loft, and then people buy it and they go, oh now oh they need to they need to close that club down because our baby can't sleep at night. And it's just like mm-hmm. you live in San Francisco, your baby's <laughs> not supposed to sleep at night. So it's just. Anyway, um, but now I'm now now you just get a little older and you're just happy to sleep at night. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, and I live down by, by the beach in Seattle, so I kind of uh, I was living downtown Capitol Hill area for a while, and um, I've been there. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I got too cranky for it. I wanted a little more space and to be able to walk to the beach and have dogs now. So, oh, cool! I'm, I'm easing into my middle aged life. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? <laughs> It's nice. <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have? Boston Terriers. Two, two, you, uh, there's one of them back here behind me. Yeah, two little Bostons. They're oh, cute. yeah. That's cool. 
And so you, so there's like, there's beach area. Is that like near what they call the sound? Am I saying it right? Yes, it's on Puget Sound, um, West Seattle neighborhood. It's like right across the bay from downtown Seattle. So we're just like kind of tucked away a little bit. Oh, cool. uh, But still easy to get down there. Yeah, I love it. But I miss the Bay Area a lot. I really loved living down there. Um, But I don't think I could afford to go back. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles now. I don't think. I don't know. I don't know if I... um... I, I am a, I mean, I'm a San Francisco, my, my heart and blood is San Francisco, but living in Los Angeles, just, it, it feels, I, I don't know. I, I feel, I feel more like a fit here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> Maybe you wanted sunshine. Maybe that's what you needed all this time. With I know. I, I'm, and that's what, that's one thing that drives me nuts about LA. It's just, it's been nineties for like the last like month and i'm just like i wish i was in san francisco because i love this i love the fog and how you know i just that weather makes more sense to my body but for some odd reason los angeles um culturally and people don't i think people outside of los angeles don't understand the los angeles culture that there is a lot of real neighborhoods here and there's Mm -hmm. the then the writing and literary Mm -hmm. communities just like really strong and it's not it's it's uh it's almost a secret it's almost like la is so big and um, what do you call it has such a bright light on it that it's just like it's almost a secret how cool it is when you're in the like right places yeah also really supportive it seems like too or at least that's been my experience is that people are very interested in what you're working on and and like kind of want to help you if they can and kind of like this reciprocity of like Oh, you know, it's you're gonna pay it forward for this person because some, in hopes that someone will do it for you. Yes, you nailed it. And in San Francisco, there's a lot of um, uh, large fish in a small pond that don't that don't want you to become a large fish. Where in Los mm. Angeles, it's kind of like we're all scumbags. Let's yeah. help each other out. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah. Well, you were in Los Angeles for a while. Just a visit, and I've come down for literary stuff in the past and been surprised by you know, not surprised but like pleasantly found it to be different from other cities yeah. in the way that people embrace each other's um creative endeavors you know it's interesting i um i went to paris last month i actually met up with ricarda over there cool um and did like kind of a combination vacation some book events but i kind of had a similar experience there, there's a whole community of um English speaking creative people who are all really supportive of each other. And I got to do a couple of readings and a few interviews. And I, I was shocked by like how receptive everybody was. They had these, um, they were open mic readings with featured readers, but they had like 50 to 50 people showing up on a random night. And they said that it was quiet because it's summertime vacation time. And this was actually like kind of, they were sort of like a Oh, this is lower attendance than usual. You would never see that in wow. Seattle. I don't know about LA, but um, p- people don't go out as much for stuff like that. Or maybe it's it's a different crowd than I don't know. I um, I was very um, like fascinated by this whole community there, and kind of like tempted to move there and thinking, thinking really? about really, like, huh? How that I could live in France. <laughs> what uh, what neighborhood was it in? I stayed in Montmartre, which is um, oh, okay. uh, up out of the main downtown part of Paris. But we kind of schlepped all over on the subway to go to this stuff. And 
Um, yeah, it was just a really warm, welcoming community of people from all over the world. Yeah. They just they all just share the common language of English, whether it's their first, second, third language. But they were they have podcasts, um, newspapers, uh, blogs, and reading series in English. Interesting, yeah. huh? I'm gonna but have to go a, visit again because you should. Yeah, I've I've been there a couple times, but in the '90s, and then now you know. I'm, I'm getting ready to start really traveling again, but I went there in 1994 when I thought I was a poet and it was, so I, I had all my poems handwritten and I knew that if I went to Shakespeare and company, being a guy yeah. from San Francisco, that I could just walk in there and go, Hey, you know, I want to read here. And uh, so like, I'm here for three weeks. So. Did it work? <laughs> no, they're no. like, they're well, like go away. <laughs> And, and and they were absolutely right to tell me to go away because Shakespeare and Company does their calendar like months in advance and I don't but have they, anything published. But they can't say yes if you don't ask. I just, I look at little, I look at young me and go, oh, you were so delusional. I'm kind of endearing. I just, I just remember my backpack and just this, all the pages of all the stuff I had worked on for like a year and a half stuffed in there that will never ever see the light of day. And it's just, it delights me to no end that it's in a box in my parents' garage. <laughs> and never on, it's never been typed out either. It's all still handwritten. Do you ever think about digging it out and, and reading through it? I have, you know, it's funny. I've actually, I've dug out some stuff where I was like, oh my God, I didn't know I had this from like 94. Um, and I read through it and just, um, there's, uh, there's just like a sincere earnesty to it. It's, it's, you know, or it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, um, it's not like, you know, it's not like I would ever really show it to anyone, but it's also like, oh, I would be friends with this guy. <laughs> it's just, it, nice feeling. It, it's almost better than seeing a photo. Cause it's just, it's seeing like the, you know, you're just like, oh, okay. I get, and I guess maybe because I teach these days too. So I get a lot of, you know, 20 somethings coming sure. in. So, and I, you know, there's ones where you just like, go, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm like really pulling for you. I hope you make it. This is really raw, but I know you got it. And then there's ones where you're like, <laughs> go back to accounting. Uh, Cause you're, you don't have, you're, you're don't, don't, don't come into our community. Not, <laughs> not in our, not in our literary neighborhood. Yeah. I, when I was teaching I, the, Sometimes there were students who would show up who were like, it was clear that they just needed an elective to finish out their credits and they wanted something that they didn't have to worry about their grade. Which, you know, once I sort of get over the, like, I have dedicated my life to this, to, for it to be an easy A for someone, I want to get past that. My strategy with them was always to like, at least that they leave with a better, with, a, with more of an appreciation of literature and what goes into it and the components of it um, so that they leave with better understanding, better appreciation than they came in with. And, and if they get their EZA, fine, but at least like I have, you know, indoctrinated them <laughs> on their way out the door. Yeah, it's, and it's just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I would love teaching and like dive into it as much as I have. And it's just like, oh, wow. And it's it just feed it, it, the teaching and writing feed each other. And it kind of yeah. blew my mind. I didn't even realize that. I was like, oh, wow. It's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's a trip. Yeah, it's fun. Working I, young minds. Yeah, yeah, and 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 just seeing it, it's it's after a while, you just see so much quicker. You're like, oh, you know, it it, it it's some of my students, their minds are blown because I'm just like, you don't know that character that well, do you? Because and I'll ask a couple questions, and they're like, oh my god, it was that obvious. <laughs> that was what I was exactly struggling with. And I'm like, it's okay, just go back and here are some questions I want you to know about. I want to ask you about their point of view or this or the background or what they did at this time. So when you come into this scene, there, there, the, we, this, I, I just know you don't know, but you know, it's good fun. On revision hard. And that, that, that was the most difficult thing to learn. Was that something that came easily for you or did you have similar kind of experience? Oh, it's brutal. No, it's, it's yeah. never easy. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's easy, but it's not. It, it the only reason it's easy is because I keep showing up to it. So mm -hmm. it's it's the only way to do it is every day. So I got to hang out with my characters every day, and I almost, and I get to this point where I feel responsibility for them. It's like I feel more responsible for them than I do for me. So it's so I just like oh okay yeah I'm here. What do you guys need? It's almost like having kittens, and you're just sitting there going you know. And, and you and you have the nipples for the milk, <laughs> so, um, so that makes it easy to keep just keep showing up, and then you're just, and then at the end of it, you're like, oh, <laughs> like yesterday was a great writing day, and I haven't written yet today, and it's four thirty, which is not a good thing. Um, I'll I'll, I'll I'm going to work on the, you know scenes after this, but usually I do it before this time of day, but it's just like. Um, but yesterday I was just revving and revving way too hard. I probably should have stopped and went, <laughs> step, take a step back. You can get back to this. Oh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's, I, I was, you know, you got to do one round in the fight. And I was trying to do three rounds in a day, I guess. Maybe you got today's writing done yesterday and today you get to chill. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, it's, it's like, you got to talk with it a little bit. You got to check in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. being it's like being married where it's just like, you know, it's like, yeah, you see each other every day and there's some days just like, oh yeah. And then, but you still got to give each other a kiss. You know, it's just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give, I gotta give her a kiss and just say hi. And then, uh, and then, <laughs> then maybe tomorrow we'll be a little more intimate. <laughs> Is that how it goes? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> is that is that your copy of the book? This is it. Oh, because I, I saw you have um, bookmarks in there. Is that for your readings? Yeah, those are read sections that I um, have been reading. Uh, the the story of the cover is actually kind of a cool one. Yeah. Um, I wanted to put something together that looked like one of those um, vintage national park posters because it's that same era of 1930. Oh, yeah. Stuff. So yeah. I looked up some examples and then um, on a road trip out to Eastern Washington, uh, I took a photo of the spot where the story takes place and um, had an illustrator turn it into this illustration. And then we'd styled it like a national park poster. Um, that is so cool. Do you it was like the one really collaborative part of the process. There were like, there was an illustrator, a graphic designer, my photo, researching the, the actual, um, like the inspo 
images from the national parks. And that, that was a lot of fun for me, actually, because the, the process of editing it was really isolating. And then like to have this little nice collab, like visual collaboration at the end was like this nice whoosh on, on the way out the door. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Did you get an original of the uh, illustrator version? It was all done digitally. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I have the, the original file, but yeah, I, I need to get these one of these blown up to put in my house. Yeah. Or a poster oh, yeah. on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, but that was fun. That is um, cool. We, we geeked out on fonts and, and color palettes. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. And then well, I think one of the more, so when I got the actual layout of the book, so she did be, use that uh, same WPA font uh-huh. for the for the titling in there too. And this is this is how I know I'm a book nerd because I totally geeked out on the fonts she used. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so easy. people don't realize that you know once once we're done with the book, right? And and we've like pulled our hair out and you know, <laughs> and it's just like, oh my God, I you know, my chest hair just turned gray overnight. How did that happen? Yeah. Oh, you know. <laughs> that was book number two. You should see what happened on book number three. <laughs> it's just but um yeah, uh, yeah, all the work that still goes into it, and then and just and then it's on the publicity machine, and then you're on Oprah, yeah. and then you're like, Oprah, come on, right. I gotta go somewhere else. Are we almost done here? <laughs> I gotta be. I gotta meet Reese. Yeah, exactly. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> oh yeah, Reese is Reese Witherspoon's like. Who else is? Who else has become big on the um, on the uh, liking your book and getting on their list? That come to mind for me. Uh, if you think of the other one, let me know. I'll send them a review copy. Yeah. Did you send Reese Witherspoon <laughs> a review copy? No. No? Why know. not? Uh, I didn't think she would bite on it, but maybe. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I go straight for Oprah. I mean, I'm, not well, too late. Yeah, I exactly. think I sent one to Oprah, but I don't know about, I don't think Reese was on the list. But Yeah. She should call me if she's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reese, if you want. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rebecca is a pretty private person, so you can get in touch with me and I'll let you know her information. So. Uh, that would be fun. Yeah. If Gwen, is what Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't do the stuff like that. She's just all about, uh, I'm going to be on food stamps for a week so I can be like you. Oh, should she do that, really? <laughs> she did. <laughs> Oh my oh, god, I couldn't get organic blueberries this week. Oh no. <laughs> People in yeah. their bubbles. People in their yeah. bubbles. It's endearing because you know they're trying. They're trying, but at the same time, right. it's just like, don't, don't. <laughs> Maybe don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. And the Anne Hache thing that happened last week. Oh, that Speaking was crazy. Of, yeah. That was, I was, you know, it's it, um, what, what bugged me was the immediate coverage. Cause I knew there was public publicists involved. Cause I know publicists behind the scenes were going, don't say it like that. Or you're not getting Brad Pitt next week. And they're like, okay. Cause it was just like the V they, they said the vehicle slammed into the house. They used really right. choice words where it yeah. wasn't her. And then and it's it like, What's you know, that? writers are we're gonna pick that apart, right? Right. I'm like, really? Oh, the interesting word choice. Yeah. If it was Joe Rogan, it would have said Joe Rogan slammed his <laughs> slammed into the house. So it's uh, yeah. I'm just sitting there going, that's a publicity machine. And then um, and then when they found out that they were trying to stop her car and she crashed into other car, you know, she was crashing right. into other stuff and drunk. Yeah. 
It's just like oh. or something. Oh, they she had a bottle of vodka in a, in her cup holder. Oh, hear that part? I heard that because they publicity that she might... is doing really <laughs> well at bringing it down. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty mind blowing what those how strong Hollywood publicity is. Yeah, I believe it. I yeah. read a report that they thought she had cocaine and possibly fentanyl in her system, but yeah, sounds like and, they're not pursuing it. And vodka. Yeah, oh, it was it was uh they 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 upped it to a felony DUI and then uh, and then she ended up dying. So, so yeah, wild. Yeah, it's I mean it's you know it's uh it's just it's 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 uh I I think it's hard for people to realize that people that are famous actually have real world problems too and our existential crisis. You know, it's not it's not all flowers when you're at the top or when yeah. you supposedly look like you are. You know, right. It's could, I'm sure it's a lot of pressure too, like a lot of uh, uh, added pressure that the rest of us don't have to deal with. Yeah, and and then eyeballs are looking at them all the time. I mean, you right. can't even drive drunk without people going in. Hey, can you stop driving drunk? <laughs> I was think I think about sometimes like, oh my god, I am so glad that social media didn't exist when I was like 18 to 23, and just like the stupid things that I did that would have been caught <laughs> video or. Uh, photos on people's posts we lived we lived in somewhat anonymity then and we could yeah. kind of like like the teenager experience was very different i it makes me wonder mentally like in the mental development how important it was to have those experiences as teenagers because we had to act out and we had to be idiots you know and i i think that's important in the teenager even 20s and then mm -hmm. it's just like when you do it now it's all over social media and judged <laughs> and i'm like you know, you, you kind of got to break stuff sometimes. <laughs> but to kind of work it out in a semi-healthy way, like without suffering later for it, you know, just right. Um, nothing, nothing was captured. <laughs> and yeah. And, the, and then because the people I've known who didn't act out in their teens and 20s end up acting out in their 40s and 50s. And it's not pretty. Line <laughs> then. <clears throat> yeah it's just like oh no 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 it's not a good look <laughs> well i think we we did it the right way tony you yeah. and i got to work it out in yeah. a way that worked for us yeah yeah and when i like uh, i don't know when's the last time i've seen like kids do stuff or, or like they'll throw like i'll see someone like throw something at my car and i and and you know so people would get mad and i'm like bless their hearts you know it's just like it's, it's like that's the stupid stuff i did and i'm glad you're getting it out in that way you know it's just like as testosterone is just pinging around their bodies and they don't know what to do with it work it out kids i know it's, uh, you know they'll hopefully they'll work it out and become writers yeah it is a good way to get that out what got you interested you in writing what got me interested in writing? Yeah. Um, I think part of it was that I love to read. I My parents didn't let us watch a lot of TV. And so reading was my entertainment as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of just had an aptitude for language and um, reading, writing. Uh, and then what really tipped it over the edge for me, I had a teacher so really early, like third grade, and I was already reading novels by then put up these um, images around the room and it was like a penmanship exercise. And she wanted us to like write a story, a little story practicing our penmanship about one of the photos. And I was very inspired by this as an eight-year-old. And 
not only did I do the assignment, I wrote a story for every single one of the images that she put up instead of picking one. And then I drew the a version of the, the picture and then I put it in like a little binder and it was like my first little mini short story collection. Uh, and that was kind of it. I just, after that, I just did it all. I wrote all the time just for my own entertainment. Uh, Please and tell me I, you have that binder still. Some it's got to be somewhere at my mom's house. It's, yeah. it's like bound in pink uh, construction paper with little like brass bi like binder clip things on it. Yeah, yeah. I got with those. I got those writer clips all over the place. Have <laughs> <laughs> kittens on the cover. Um, but yeah, it just like I hadn't thought of doing that before. And then once that seed got planted, I just lo I loved it and did it all the time. And then when I got to college, I sort of took it more seriously and started taking classes and ended up majoring in um, creative writing as an undergrad, too. And that was kind of it. Like, I've just done it since then. And um, but I think learning how to write a book, though, was a big um, hurdle to overcome. Yeah. Like how to sustain a story for 250 300 pages is yeah. a big learning curve as a writer uh, it, cool, go ahead. Yeah. no it was it was hard there, there were times when i was like oh this is just a beast i don't know if i can do this <laughs> it, the the thing is it's a beast and the other thing is is the only way to learn how to write a novel is to learn how, is to write a novel it's there, right. there's no other way around it so true so a lot of this experience was that exactly that like okay i have the story idea now i have to teach myself how to write a novel yeah and how to edit it to how to how to revise a novel too and revise it again and revise it again yeah um so yeah that was all very constructive i i hope the next one's a little easier does it get easier on the next no one? it doesn't what, gets, what, <laughs> no! What, what, what happens is um we remember the dread and the and everything and we go oh i've had this feeling before and then we just plot i'll be forward. okay I'll yeah. Be able to do it. Okay. It's, there's just something about it. There's something the beauty of the of it being such a beast to tackle something like a novel, and that it doesn't get easier to do. It's just still hard to do, but we still do it. It's um. It it's all it's all it's. It's it's just it's magical. That's and that's why that's why I adore it as a as a reader and a writer. It's just like we're, we're we got magic in our hands when we're reading a book, and yeah. and if we're if we've written books, then we're not passive readers. We're readers who are like we know we're holding the pain in the heart of somebody mm -hmm. in our hands. Mm -hmm. It's very true. Yeah, I, I'm actually ready to get started. I, I got to finish the publicity for this book, but I'm kind of, um, I'm getting antsy to get back into actually doing the work again. It's been, yeah. I think I handed everything in probably six months ago now. So I haven't really been doing any kind of real writing in that amount of time. And I'm a little bit like, what do Yeah. My typing fingers are getting itchy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that might be asthma too, so. <laughs> or maybe arthritis. <laughs> I do oh. think I might be getting arthritis in my toes. What? Of all things. I know. They get kind of like stiff sometimes when I'm walking and, I, and achy. And I'm like, oh, seriously? I'm getting arthritis in my toes? That's well, it might be inflammation too. Like, do you, uh, do be. you, do you, because like I, I try to have like, we're so middle-aged i'm like i try to like drink apple cider vinegar and like try to yeah. keep at, at, like my body as alkaline as possible so yeah i'll try that yeah. okay 
Good advice. I yeah. hadn't thought of that. I will yeah, beat yeah. it. I swear. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. toes well, will my toes will bend normally again. One of my writer friends, he uh, he had to stop. He was like, I had to stop drinking because I started getting gout. And he's like, in the minute I and he was just, uh, you know, a couple glasses of red, uh, white wine a night kind of guy. And uh, and then he's just like, I had to stop. And then I stopped getting gout. And I'm like, and you're probably sleeping better, too. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so. Through it. Yeah. Well, I'll be fine. Can't stop it. I know, I know. It's like the, what was, I, it's just like, oh, if you ever take wine and cheese away from me, that'll be the death of me, you know, but. <laughs> it's the little things. Yeah, yeah. I I did way too much wine and cheese during COVID where I just like, now, I, now I'm like, now I got to lose weight and get healthy. <laughs> the excuse Brilliant. is over. The excuse of putting brie right onto my face, just going, <laughs> Who needs crackers? It's a wedge. It's like a pizza. It's a pizza is what it is. Oh, funny. I love it. Wait, so wait, you're wait. giving up your what's that? You're giving up your brie habit. I gave that up actually about uh eight months ago. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, part of it also I've and part of this whole responsibility to my novel is actually I have to be I, I put myself to be like I have to be healthier to be able to hit this novel in it every day. So I've been more conscious of exercising, of doing these things. And in a way it's probably because I have low self-esteem about myself. So now I'm putting it on the novel. So I have high self-esteem or whatever to, to like make myself a better running machine. So I approach the book uh, as a, in my best way possible. Amazing. I also think if you don't feel well, it's hard to, it's harder to be creative, just like it's harder to do anything else. True, true. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't feel well, but it's just like, <laughs> it's like, just, just things disgust me, but that, and that, and that ends up in the writing and then it's just, and then you can blame it on characters. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that character <laughs> was just like, so rude. I know. <laughs> I just, it was just so hard to write because I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, do you like writing dialogue? How do you feel about um What's your philosophy about dialogue? Oh yeah, I, I like writing dialogue a lot. You write you um, write screenplays as well, right? Did you work mm -hmm. on this? You wrote on, worked on the screenplay for okay. Do, do yeah. you okay. So you really have to rely heavily on dialogue for that. So that's something that you probably practiced a lot. Yeah, it's I and mean, it's not so much relying on dialogue. It's getting the dialogue so tight that one phrase is saying what we say in you know in three pair in three paragraphs of dialogue on the on the page yeah. but i write the three paragraphs of dialogue on the page and just keep working it working it and go how can i how can that be more succinct how can that be more succinct and a lot of it is knowing the point of view of your character and everything's character you once you know your character you know how they talk you know what they're thinking and you know what's behind the dialogue they're saying when they're saying how was your day dear they're actually saying, I want to kill you. <laughs> the subtext. Yeah. I mean, it's a great skill to have. And I think that um, in like really long works, it can be easy to just kind of let your dialogue get flabby because you've got the space. Um, so I, I think that is such an important skill to bring to any writing is to just be able to like get that terse dialogue down. Yeah. At the same time, when, um, you know, when I'm on a novel, the dialogue can go, go paragraphs. It's not, you know, it's the, I don't follow the, the film, it, you know, um, it, and it's kind of fun to just give these 
characters long monologues of yeah. sometimes sometimes just of the stupidest things ever which just crack me up to no end and then and and it just it just it kind of has to make me laugh and me and make me think oh my god this is so silly and i love it at the same time and then i feel like i'm in the right spot i just and then and then people will take it very seriously and then i'll find and then i'll be uh, and that'll be like my little joke and in, inside myself <laughs> i don't know it's all magic it is all magic it really is i'm yeah so it's uh and i'm glad you created magic so congratulations on the book thank you thank you and thanks for coming on the show absolutely thanks for having me it was fun
Rebecca Anderson on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, The Grand Promise. Next week on the show, we have Paula Priamos. She'll be discussing her new book, Appraise Her. Keep reading. Support your local library. Go to the photography section and check out a How to Photograph Nude Women book. There's lots of naked pictures in there. I'll see you next week. Parlons peu, pardon maman, pardon Dieu Tout cas, n'est pas dangereux, il a pas besoin de faire ni de bafeux Vas-y lâche ma queue, je vais pas me faire emmerder par des queues J'y égo, je t'enterre où tu veux, Ego n'abuse pas trop du jeu Tu vas manger le sol, sans la grande me respecter Tu vas perdre la vie, au ciel tu feras gifler par mon père C'est la fin de la fête, j'allume la frappe, c'est la fin de la queue C'est trop, là je finirai avec eux, eux ils s'apprennent moi pas ce qu'on fait Yo, 9M Vital, acheté chez le père de la gitane Ils détissent le plexus comme Zidane, je vends de la canne, des disques et des gitanes Petite nature c'est tous tes petites lames, dans tous les cas on gagnera le beefman On a rien à foutre que tu vives, que tu meurs de tous les cas, on rentre à du beefman Parlons peu Pardon maman, pardon Dieu Tout cas, n'est pas dangereux Il a pas besoin de faire ni de baveux La jalousie, ça rend miséreux Ça dévie les hommes pieux A qui bon j'en ai deux A qui bon j'en ai deux Parlons peu Pardon maman, pardon Dieu Tout cas, n'est pas dangereux Il a pas besoin de faire ni de baveux La jalousie, ça rend miséreux Ça dévie les hommes pieux A qui bon j'en ai deux A qui bon j'en ai deux J'ai appelé deux têtes de chez Watt Ils ont eu honte pour toi mes skins Ils m'ont dit lui c'est L'ancien c'est un spécial, les si on sollicite c'est pas pour tu Profitez la danse plus, j'ai besoin de visite à l'impôt Akimbo, criminel, disque, chiffre, déversion loin du rush Tu peux sortir sans 10, 300 feet, tu fais pas de stream sans triche Je fais des dingueries des films X, elle a bien vu glisser son fils Mais il passe à la radio son fils, il va la sauver du bain de son fils Crypto, crypto, niaque ça bientôt j'enterre ma puce Je suis dans le ghetto avec des cryptos qui ont vraiment des coups de luxe elle a vraiment des goûts de luxe, alors je m'assure avant qu'elle donne son cul. Je m'assure avant que ces cafards ne respirent plus. Tu vas pas m'apprendre la rue, fils de pute. Parlons peu, pardon maman, pardon Dieu. Tout cas, n'est pas dangereux, il a pas besoin de faire ni de baveux. La jalousie, ça rend miséreux, ça dévie les hommes pieux. A qui bon j'en ai deux, à qui bon j'en ai deux. Parlons peu. Pardon maman, pardon Dieu Tout cas, n'est pas dangereux Il a pas besoin de faire ni de baveux La jalousie, ça rend miséreux Ça dévie les hommes pieux Glock A qui bon j'en ai deux Glock A qui bon j'en ai deux You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz